I uh, read this quote this past week or not too long ago, and LeBron James, the, the former Cav again, had said that Moses Malone, if you, if you don't know those, these are basketball players. Moses Malone was a guy that came straight from high school uh, into the NBA as well. Uh, and uh, Moses Malone told LeBron James when he, early in his career, he said, whatever you give to the game, the game will give back to you. And, and I think there's a lot of truth to that, not, not just in, in terms of basketball, uh, but in terms of life. What, what you put in to an experience is what you will get out of an experience. It's, it's what we put in that matters. That if we really invest in something, usually we get something out of it. It's all areas of life. And in relationships, what you put into a relationship is what you will get out of a relationship. What you put into your career is what you will get out of your career. What you put into your education and your educational process, you will get out. What you put into physical fitness, you, you will get out of that same effort. Now, there's variables. Of course, you, you can go all in, all in, continuing that, that theme. You can go all in on a relationship and someone else can blow it up, Right? Everybody's experienced that, where you've done your best, but the other person has blown up or destroyed the relationship. You, you can go all in on a career, and economies can shift, and companies can change, and markets can change, and, and you can find yourself, even though you've done your best, unemployed at 45 or 55, doing all that you could have, for that company and that business. So there are variables in that. We can go in all in on our physical health. I can go all in on, on trying to accomplish the Boston Marathon, and, and I could be running in Mill Valley on one of those slick trails, they're always slick, and slip and tear an ACL or tear an Achilles tendon and lose all the effort that I put into it. So, so we understand that although this is a principle, there are variables that affect what we put into something. But the principle is true, and, and I call it the principle of the seed. And we see this throughout Scripture. The, the Scripture's always talking about what we do will have an effect on how we live. Galatians says it like this, and, and I've used this scripture often because I believe it's so true that we need to be aware of this. Paul writes, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. It's true. Uh, we will harvest what we plant. That the seeds that we plant will be the harvest that we receive. Can we make this personal? Can you say, I will harvest what I plant with me? I will harvest what I plant. Let's do that again. I will harvest what I plant. You will harvest what you plant this week. I will harvest what I plant this week. The seeds that I put into motion, and if, if I put seeds of bitterness, if I put seeds of unforgiveness, if I put seeds of, of, of selfishness and self in place, those will be the things that I harvest. 
Andy Stanley, and, and, and I've used this often too. I, I tell my boys this all the time. I don't know if they hear me or not, but, but I think it's true. In his principle of the path, Andy Stanley says, direction, not intention, determines destination. Direction, not intention, determines destination. So, so, so what I'm saying, all these things, all these dreams that we have, it, my big dream, my physical big dream, and I have other dreams, that, that, that's just an illustration that, that, that I can come back to and, and work to in front of you. But, but, but there's all sorts of big dreams. These big dreams that we have will not occur just simply because we want them bad enough. But we must take physical action. We must take steps. We must plant seeds that lead towards the harvest that we desire. It's the same with your all-ins. And, 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 and I've, several of you have shared your all-ins, but, but, but I know all, most people have things that they would, they would like to see happen in their life. It's not enough just to want it. But we need to be taking steps to achieve it. Now, now, we've talked about the church being all in, and I love the wall back here that, that um, Ryan and Mara did. I think they did such an outstanding job on that, and it's, it, it adds something as you walk back there and, and, and see uh, the places that we can be all in. And it says be, we can be all in for our church, for VBS, and I encourage you to participate. Our VBS will be dependent on how much we invest in it, how much you invest in it. And, and if we want a successful VBS, we need you. We need you to participate. But in our church all in, we, we want to invest the right things. Uh, giving matters. Tithing and giving and capital campaigns matter. Tr truthfully, all of us will understand that God does not need our money. Say amen. If you ever want to say amen in the church, that's time to say amen. God doesn't need our money. Amen. He doesn't. God needs and wants our hearts. The unfortunate truth is that our money is often where our hearts are. <laughs> and so God asks us to give our money, because oftentimes, folks, if we were honest, our money represents the things that we desire most. No, no, nobody worships dollar bills, <laughs> maybe thousand-dollar bills, but not dollar bills. No, nobody worships money in of itself, or very few people do. I, I, I guess I've met people in my life that 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 their sole goal in life was accumulating more that people do begin to worship the things that that money can get. Amen? Your pastor's no different than you. I mean, this is the temptation for us all, that vacations and cars and houses and clothes and freedom and leisure, these are the things that money buys. And we begin to worship those things instead of the one true God. And so God talks about money because money represents the core value, the, the core thing that allows us to achieve these other things we begin to worship. Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. God wants your heart. I believe 
Revival will be determined for us by our willingness to give. Uh, I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel. I, I, you know, the prosperity gospel, when I hear that kind of stuff, it, it really upsets me because I've known too many godly people that didn't have nice cars, nice houses, nice clothes, nice things that were true servants of God. Uh, I, I, I don't believe a prosperity gospel is supported by the Bible. I, I don't. And if you disagree, that's fine. We can disagree there. I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel. But, but I do believe that when we freely give to God, when we give him our tithes, when we, when we give to an all-in campaign, when we're generous with God, God is more generous with us. And he blesses us with his presence and he blesses us with revival and he blesses us with a fresh move. Can, can I say something that may be perceived harsh if I say it with a smile? <laughs> it's possible that for some of us, God's fresh move is based on what we're doing with our money. And God may have blessings for you that is at the end of tithing and generosity that are beyond your imagination or even your hopes. In Malachi, the prophet writes, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. That is not the word of Paul. That is not the word of the church of the Nazarene. That is the word of God. <laughs> that is what God says about the tithe. But it's more than money. You know, this is part, I believe this is part of it. I believe it's a significant part of it. That's why I'm touching on it again, because I believe God wants to do something in our lives. And I believe this is one of those barriers we have to get through. But it's more than money. God wants us. He wants us to be living sacrifices. He wants us to be all in. He wants us to go all out. He doesn't want there to be things that we're withholding from him. He doesn't want there to be rooms in our life that he's not invited into. God wants to be God. You know, I'm always amazed when, when I read in the Old Testament, you know, God, God judges Israel, he judges Judah, and, and you read through and, 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 and they're, they're still doing temple worship and they're, they're still bringing sacrifices and they're still doing all those religious things at the right time for God. And yet in the midst of that, they're worshiping all these pagan idols at the same time. You know, we get in our mind that, that they have abandoned God and they've forgotten completely about God. No, they've made God a part of their life, but not all of their life. God wants to be all of 
all of your life, not part of your life. He has went all in for you and his demand for us is to go all in for him. And so as a church, we wanna be all in and we, we've set financial goals and, and you know I, I'm not gonna go over those again. There's all sorts of goals and I think they're important goals, but the most important things I, I think that we've talked about is this 120 salvations and baptisms over three years. Can I be honest with you? I think that's small for God. It's huge for us, but small for God. I think God wants to do more than that in our church. I do. And I think God will do more than that in our church if we truly just give him everything. The question is how. And so as we begin this next series, it's one thing to have this intention, you know, direction, not intention, determines destination. So it's one thing for me as a pastor to say, okay, here's what we want to see. The real issue is how do we accomplish what we want to see, right? You know, what are some practical things that we can do. And, and so we're going to begin to talk about immerse. Now, now immerse is less about planning and more about planting. <laughs> In other words, when we start talking about immerse and we, we start going through these principles over the next few weeks, this is not about setting a plan, but it's about planting seeds. And not just planting any seeds, but planting the right kind of seeds that will lead to revival in our church. You know, we, we've talked about in the past about planting a church, right? And, you, and, and some, of us, some of you have freaked out about that and been afraid what that means. Some of you have embraced it. But we've talked about that ideal of planting a church for, for many, many months. I've grown concerned because the truth is, I don't want to plant a church. I want God to plant his church through us. Do you see the distinction? See, 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 I think too often in this church planning process, churches throw in money and they throw in people, but, but, but God is far from the plan. My goal for us is to be open for the move of God, that God can do what he wants to do through this body of believers. So, so I think about this church and how it started. Does anybody know where this church started? Where'd this church start? Fifth Street. In a house. Maple. Maple. Maple and Six. Harold knows, because Harold built the house before they started. <laughs> in a lovely, I believe it's a greenhouse now. It's on the corner there. And uh, I don't think, it, was it green when you met in it, Harold? You don't think so? This church started in a house as a Sunday school. And I, I would imagine that those sitting in the house to, to see the, the structure and the people that have come through this church over the years would be amazed at what God has done through a few in a house, in a Sunday school. See, I think there's a principle there. there. There's something that happened there that's beyond just planning and it's planting. And as we work through this series, 
and we begin to think about what God wants to do, I want us to think outside the box a little bit about what it means to plant a church and what church may even look like when we're completed. And I guess the question I have is this, what, what if the next church that God wanted to plant from Marysville Church of the Nazarene was in your living room on Tuesday nights with some friends and some neighbors? What if in the mind of God, he was thinking, oh, Nancy has that nice living room and she's got some great friends and I'm gonna plant a church right in her living room. God does things like that, right? And so in Immerse, we're looking for God's move and trying to ride his coattails. Everybody, you know, the election coattails. I remember when Reagan was elected, there was a lot of people that rode the Reagan coattails into office. I want to ride God's coattails. I want to ride God's move. Where God's moving, I want to be. I don't want to try to create something new and different, but I want to rest in what God's doing. And so there's, there's four, really five principles, five commitments. And, and I've called them commitments because the truth is, if you, don't want to, if you don't want to be part of this and you don't want to do this, I, I don't want you to do it. You know, I'm not looking for 100% involvement. If we had 100% involvement, God would do something unbelievable. But if I had 10 or 15 or 20 or 40 people that would make truly make these commitments, God could do great things in our church. Amen. And the commitments are these. I will be immersed in prayer. I will be immersed in Jesus. And this next principle is really two principles. And as we, we preach through this, you'll see what I, we mean by this. I will be immersed in others with others. And finally, I will be immersed in God's agenda. So that's the series. That doesn't mean you don't have to come back for the next five weeks. And today we're going to talk about prayer. Pretty good place to start, right? <laughs> I will be immersed in prayer. You know, I thought about this, and, and as I worked through this series, the truth is that, that I, I almost reverse this to being immersed in Jesus before I'm immersed in prayer. I think they're one and the same because it's only through Jesus that I even begin to understand how to pray, right? <laughs> the, 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 the disciples were disciples and followers of Jesus for a long time before he began to teach him how to pray. And so, so, so there's, a, there's a lot of, we can be very selfish in our prayer life, amen? You know, prayer life, our prayer life can become all about our needs, what we want. It can become our wish list. It can, prayer can become our time of talking at God, complaining to God. And I think he wants something richer than that for you and I when we talk about prayer. But the harvest is dependent on prayer. Matthew 9, 35 through 38, Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them 
because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. See the compassion of Jesus? You see the compassion connected to prayer? And there's three things that I want us to see this morning real real quickly about prayer. Prayer, number one, reminds us that God brings the harvest. Uh, I believe any attempt to reach others with the good news of Jesus Christ that's not bathed in prayer is doomed for failure. (laughs) Revivals not bathed in prayer will not succeed. Trying to share the gospel with others without bathing that in prayer will not be successful because it is God that brings the harvest and not us. Yeah, we don't, we cannot argue someone into heaven. We cannot debate someone into a relationship with Jesus Christ. That comes by the work of the Spirit. Now, now that gives me a lot of peace because it means that God is at work far before I'm at work. So, so if there's somebody that, that God has laid on my heart, God is already at work in their heart before I begin the process of sharing Jesus with them. You'd be amazed. The, the people that I've led to Christ through the years, how often it's like shooting fish in a barrel. <laughs> you know what I mean. Spencer and I went fishing at uh, St. Mary's, it was not that easy going for us. Uh, God brings the harvest. God changes the heart. God is the one who comes first and goes before and begins to prepare people's hearts for relationship with Jesus Christ. Martin Luther said, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance but laying hold of his willingness. God, God's desire is that all would come to repentance and relationship with him. That, that person that you love, that person that you're praying for, that person that you want to find relationship with Jesus, God wants it more. And so when we pray, it connects us with the heart of God that sees the lost, the lonely, the broken, the the one that would leave heaven for us. It connects us with his heart. Secondly, prayer changes our perspective on others. I think in this passage that we read that perhaps the disciples, the followers of Jesus were a little bit like we can be. I can be like this. Maybe you are never like this. But there's times in my life I see people for all their flaws. Right? That is a rotten, no good sinner. And, and sometimes, let's be honest, okay? I'm going to be honest with you. Do I need to smile or can I give you a stern look? In a small town... 
and Marysville still a small town, you know almost every skeleton in each other's closet. And, and, and you know what to expect from other people. And you begin to see them in that way. Oh, such and such, that's, her dad was married to them and, and they always lie, so they're nothing but a liar. <laughs> You've all done it now, I know. You can do it about me all the time, every Sunday. Oh, that pastor, he's going to preach something goofy. And... and I think the disciples had fallen into that trap that they're seeing all these people around them and they're just... Uh, that's just a tax collector. That's just a Pharisee. That's just a... And they begin to characterize them, but Jesus saw them differently. You know what I found about prayer? And I found this very early in my life, and it's been an important lesson. If I have a problem with somebody, I pray for them. And what I found in that process, when I have a problem with somebody and I pray for them and really begin to earnestly pray for them, God begins to change me from the inside in my perspective of them. Amen. Try God here. Try God with that neighbor that's so difficult to get along with. Try God with that coworker that drives you crazy. Try God with that crazy family member that's always saying weird things at family reunions. And all of us have one. If you don't know who it is, it's probably you, okay? <laughs> Start praying for him and see if God does not change your perspective. And instead of seeing them as a caricature, but you begin to see him as a sheep that simply needs a shepherd. And then finally, prayer reminds us that we have a part to play. <laughs> you always hesitate to ask God for workers. You know why? Because oftentimes he tells me where I need to get to work. <laughs> and the truth, that, that is the truth. Oftentimes when we begin to pray these prayers, God begins to show us places that we can be involved. I'm getting a little long, I'm sorry. Do you think it's important that we kind of talk about prayer? I, I'm going to do a series on prayer sometime soon. It's on my list. Uh, you know, people, I've, I've often wondered, you know, when, when you went in the ministry, do you run out of things to, to talk about? There are so many things out there to talk about uh, that uh, you can preach for a long time. But I want to do a series on prayer because I, I think prayer is a misunderstood habit. And I, I think many don't pray because they fell at prayer in the past. And it's just overwhelming. And, and there's some of you here this morning, as I'm talking about praying for the harvest, you're going, I can't do that. I can't stay awake. You know, prayer, be simple. You know, God's not asking you to be a theologian in your prayer time. He's asking you just to speak and listen to him. And, and, and sometimes we can get so caught up in the these and thous of prayers that we miss, that that's not how we talk to anyone else. So why should we talk to God differently than we talk to our closest friend? Pray natural. 
if every time you close your eyes, you fall asleep, stop closing your eyes when you pray, okay? <laughs> now, now, personally, I, I never have felt any guilt in falling asleep when I'm praying to God. I haven't. You know, I, I, if Spencer were to come in and start talking to me and fall asleep, I wouldn't bash him in the head. You know, I'd think, well, I am glad my son is comfortable enough that he can come start talking to me and just fall asleep. I don't feel any guilt about that. But, but if you're intent on having a longer dialogue and you fall asleep when you shut your eyes, then don't shut your eyes. Find another way to do it. You know, re read scripture. Listen to music. Write or type your prayers. Text your prayers. If you're a texter and you love to text, you, you know you can text yourself, right? And I think God can read the text that you send to yourself. Listen. You know, when you speak, every once in a while, stop and listen. But start somewhere. I've heard it said, and I'm not going to get this quote right, it's something to the effect to begin to pray is to succeed in prayer. In other words, maybe you've got all these benchmarks out there that you have to hit before you feel like you're a successful prayer. They, when, when I can pray for 45 minutes, when I, when I can pray for three hours and it seemed like three minutes, and when you don't hit those goals, you feel guilty and you feel like less of a Christian, can I be honest? I'm not sure if that's from God, those feelings. That if you've tried to pray and you've really earnestly tried and you've not done the best you could and you feel guilty about it, I don't know if that's God laying the guilt trip on you. Pray, God, show me the harvest. Not show me the money, show me the harvest. Give me boldness. Pray particularly for individuals. If you don't have a name, if you don't have someone that you can pray for, say, God, give me a name. Amen? Three real quick suggestions. Set the alarm on your phone to pray at a certain time. Pray for the harvest. Now, church planners use 1002. Throughout the country at 10.02, there's pastors and people that are part of church plants that their phone will ring at 10.02 for Luke 10.2, which is the, 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 the similar or the companion passage that we read from Matthew today, that they would pray for the harvest. So, so, so maybe 10.02, your phone goes off and you can just say a short prayer, God, give me boldness. Lord, I pray for the harvest. Pray for that person you're praying for. Keep a harvest prayer list. In other words, keep names on a list of people that you're praying for that they'll find relationship with Jesus Christ. And finally, join others in prayer. What would happen? What would happen if we had 40 groups of two to five people meeting in prayer over the harvest? See, I think it would revolutionize our church. I think it would change our community. They could be text groups. <laughs> they could be in your kitchens. They could be Facebook groups. They could be on your porches and parks. They, they, they could be here. <laughs> it 
They can be in coffee shops. My, my goal for us today is to overwhelm Sue Timmons with people that want to be part of these prayer groups. Sue, we're going to start a prayer group on Wednesdays on our front porch. And then the all-in prayer campaign, the 24-7, just remember you can sign up if you want a slot. Uh, you can see me, you can see Sue, and we can help you get involved in that. I'm going to close with a, a quote from F.B. Meyer. I, I'd never seen this quote before I began preparing for this, this sermon, but I thought this was pretty powerful. The greatest tragedy of life is not an answered prayer, but an offered prayer. Think about that for a moment. You know, maybe... Maybe you're kind of new to this. Maybe you're struggling with what to do with all this stuff we've been talking about, all this all-in, all this immersed business, and all this talking about how God wants all of our life. And, and maybe today's the day. Maybe the Spirit's been speaking to you and you just want to find new relationship. Maybe you've been around for a while. I, I've had somebody just recently that, that, that really pretty good person say, you know, I just don't feel like I'm all in. And as you've talked about that, that's rang true with me. I want to be all in. Maybe that's you. Maybe, maybe at one point you were all in, but, but life has this funny way of pulling us out, right? And, and maybe just life has just kind of dragged you away. Maybe there's a particular person you're praying for. Maybe there's not a person, but you want there to be a person. This is time to respond to him in prayer. All heads bow, all eyes closed. Our altars are always available for you.